1: Plus. We have over 20 years in the health and wellness industry, and we have never seen a product like this. Results are felt in as little as 15 minutes as our Moringa is cell-ready and enzymatically alive. This is all natural product will lower your blood pressure, relief arthritis, increase your energy, enhance weight loss, or your money back. Do your part and get your friends off of Red Bull, Monster, 5-Hour Energy. Hey, come by Denny's in Redlands every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Call right now to book a seat to this private business meeting. 909-346-3725. 909-346-3725. Brought to you by com.
3: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 a.m. The station that needs no listener behind
2: for Culture Shocks with your host, Barry Lynn.
4: All right, and welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. This is Barry Lynn. Okay, here's what we're going to talk about today, progressive Christianity. Now, some people would say, progressive Christianity, wait a minute, what is that? How does that dis- How do we distinguish that from church-on-the-corner Christianity, or maybe Christianity on television, or Christianity way over there with the likes of the late Jerry Falwell or the current Reverend Pat Robertson? Is there really a difference? What is the core belief system that enables one to still say, yeah, I've got some progressive ideas, but I'm still a Christian? We're joined by... The Reverend David Felton, who, along with uh, the Reverend Jeff Proctor Murphy, are the authors of the book Living the Questions, The Wisdom of Progressive Christianity. They also have a DVD curriculum for progressive Christians with the same name. And, uh, David, thank you very much for being with us.
5: Hey, it's an honor to be with you.
4: Well, I appreciate that. And I uh, So, a progressive Christian, how is... Is it, and I may be answering my own question by asking it this way, but what distinguishes a progressive Christian from, say, an anti evolution, anti gay, Islamophobic Christian?
5: <laughs> well, you are adding a lot, of, you are coming at a lot of what a lot of progressive Christians are on about. But I would want to say first and foremost that progressive Christianity is something that uh, is not new, it's something that's been around for a long time. And uh, it's been being taught in our seminaries, uh, but it's not something that's trickled down into the pew. Um, certainly, uh, both of us are, are graduates of Boston right. University School of Theology, and I certainly was taught to take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Uh, I was taught that part of my ministry was on about being out in the world, uh, fighting for uh, justice in the face of those that are being excluded, whether it be, uh, or in our day and age, marriage equality, sure. or uh, in previous generations for civil rights or what have you. I mean, progressive Christians have been around for a long time and have been at the forefront of a lot of the social change that we take for granted in this country anymore.
4: You know, I think um, some people, David, would say, yeah, well, what you've just said about the civil rights movement and all of that. The only problem with it is uh, this is when Christianity started a decline because people decided to merge kind of their left-wing political views with social causes, and and then everything fell apart. So the very well, things that you and I would point to as proving that there's a history to progressive Christianity, people would say, yeah, but not before the '60s. Yeah, and I would say
5: hallelujah, because (laughs) I think it's one of the things that progressive Christians need to get a backbone and say, you know, well, we have uh, a a history to be proud of. We have taken part in all kinds of movements and uh, all kinds of of different uh, ways of going about life that have changed the world for the better. And it starts with things like... Um, not being obsessed with a literal Bible. Right. Um, it starts with uh, some of the things that, as, as mentioned before, um, our, our clergy are often afraid of talking about in the pulpit because people want to embrace, uh, I guess, that old-time religion that they remember yep. from their small church back in some small town. And they don't come to church to actually grow or be stirred up spiritually. They just want to be patted on the head and reminded... Of what they learned in sixth grade Sunday school yeah well let's uh, say
4: let's say we those of us who went through and I was a very serious uh, Sunday school scholar you know I used to do Saturday <laughs> night before i 'd even watch TV I would do the lessons so I could answer all the questions the next day, but what about the minimum constructs that you have to accept that you have to believe in order to define yourself not just as some vaguely spiritual person but as a Christian I assume there was an historical person Person named Jesus. Right?
5: Well, I think one of the first things that I'd want to talk about is um, the idea of having to believe anything, being at the core of what progressive Christianity is about. Um, I look at all of the uh, witness that we have in the Gospels of, of Jesus' life and, and see that what Jesus was on about... Uh, was interacting with people, of bettering people's lives, of including people that were otherwise excluded. And he didn't stop to ask them what they believed first. Um, it was all about action. And I think if you go back to Harvey Cox's recent book, The Future mm-hmm. of Faith, where he talks about the creeds and says, man, I mean, if you, if you look at the first 300 years of, of kind of proto-Christianity, it was really on about, what do we have to do? to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. But as soon as the creeds came along and tried to systematize everything, I mean, you look at the creeds where it says, you know, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, comma, right. suffered under Pontius Pilate. Right. And it's like, where is Jesus' life? Where are his teachings? It's, it's in that comma. I mean, that's it. Um, and so after the creeds, it became all about having to believe certain things. And I think that's one of the big differences in... Uh, from traditional Christianity to more progressive Christianity is embracing those things that Jesus taught and modeled and saying, wow, we need to be on about that as well.
4: So you model it, but of course some things uh, were considered or would still be considered by most Christians as central, including the literal, the real fact of the resurrection. Now when you point out to people that uh, Paul, probably the earliest writer you find in the Christian New Testament, apparently his story of Jesus is kind of, there was this guy named Jesus and he died, there's not a resurrection till you get to later writings, and then all of a sudden this becomes what many people would call today the central belief of Christianity. Okay. How do you list, deal with Tim, that?
5: Well, I, I got in trouble with that not too long ago. We we have a, a website, livingthequestions.com. It a, has a blog as well, Living the Questions Online, and a Facebook page. And we we try to put provocative things up there to help people be in conversation about some of these topics, like resurrection. Not too long ago, we put up a a quote from Matthew Fox that basically said, Hey, you know, original sin isn't in the Bible. It really was a bad idea from the beginning. We need to get rid of it. And it got, it went viral. I mean, thousands of people Mm. shared it and lots of conversation about it. So I thought, you know, hey, the next thing we put up was a quote from uh, Dr. Robin Myers in Oklahoma saying, hey, you know, the resurrection, it's not about beam me up, Scotty. It's not about <laughs> atoms and molecules and all of that. It's it's a metaphor. Oh my gosh. Mm. We got so much grief about that because yeah. people were like, hey, I'm happy to get rid of original sin, but don't touch my literal resurrection. Right. And so I think that a lot of people have got certain uh degrees to which they'll go to, um, but beyond a certain step they will not go. And as we continue to grow in our spiritual journeys and as we go along in life, that, uh, that place changes. And I think that that is a place right now, the literal resurrection, that is in the process of changing among Christians at large. And as you look at the four gospel, uh, treatments of the resurrection, all of which are very different with Quite. different characters, different orders of events, different, uh, uh, different, uh, Agendas by the different uh, gospel writers, um, it becomes quite obvious that this is something that is a metaphor, that the stories were developed to try and express meaning behind this metaphor. But that if you try and take it literally, then it just becomes some woo-woo thing that happened thousands of years ago. And it doesn't make it something that you can embrace today and say, We're all about resurrection, but we're about resurrection here and now.
4: Yeah, because if you're looking for the literal resurrection number two, it's hard to find it. And if the attack on it from a non-theist who assumes that everyone believes everything literally... um, you know, you, it's hard to score a point by saying, well, wait a minute, there were three or four others uh, who they just haven't been chronicled yet. We're talking to uh, David Felton. He's a co-author, along with Jeff Proctor Murphy, of the fine new book about progressive Christianity called Living the Questions, The Wisdom of Progressive Christianities. Well, look, if it's a metaphor to say Jesus, this historical figure, went through a resurrection, what about God? Maybe that's just a metaphor. We'll ask that in a minute right here on Culture Shocks. Now back
2: to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network.
6: Our nation's founders believed that all Americans have the right to worship according to their own beliefs or not to worship at all. So strong was their commitment to religious freedom that they enshrined it in the first sentence of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We call this constitutional guarantee the first freedom. Religion is deeply personal, and Americans must be free to practice without coercion. There must be a separation of church and state. We are on the verge of losing this fundamental freedom. You may wonder, what can I do? The answer is simple. Do what our founders did. Sign your name to a very important document, the First Freedom First Petition. Go to www.firstfreedomfirst.org and sign it today. By standing together, we can send a powerful message to our elected officials.
7: your options of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money, and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130, and I will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits. Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130.
1: Are you still a traditional (laughs) smoker?
8: We have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified, super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123FreeSeeds.com.
4: And we're talking to Pastor David Felton. He is a United Methodist minister and out there in Fountain Hills, Arizona. He's the co-creator of the Living the Questions DVD curriculum for people that he would describe as progressive Christians. And the co-author with Jeff Proctor Murphy of Living the Questions, The Wisdom of Progressive Christianity in book form. So, David, uh, metaphors, a lot of metaphors, original sin, Gardens of Eden, uh, a lot of people can deal with that. You get to the resurrection as metaphor, people get a little more nervous. How about God? Are there some minimum attributes of this concept, this construct of God? Like, does God clearly, whatever else God is or isn't, must be omnipotent? <laughs>
5: Well, as Charles Hartson has said, omnipotence is one of those great theological mistakes. (laughs) Um, It's uh, not actually in the Bible that God is omnipotent. It's a mistranslation of the the Almighty, which ironically um, uh, is El Shaddai in Hebrew, which uh, as far as I can tell from the translations and talking with people who actually speak Hebrew and write Hebrew, my rabbi friends have said that it's El Shaddai is the God of the breasts, uh, which is Mm. a nurturing God. Nurturing God. um, God of the mountains, as it were, literally. And so it's kind of strange that this uh, almighty God image has actually risen out of uh, a more nurturing kind of comforting kind of of image that was in the original text. So um, it just goes to show that whenever you try to use a word for God, Uh, even the word God, um, you're really limiting your understanding of a concept which is beyond our ability to really describe or or even comprehend. So we're limiting it.
4: So if we're limiting it, if we say uh, omnipotent, all-powerful, I would assume you would concur that uh, saying uh, omnipresent, always with us and uh, generally accessible, may not be accurate. And how about omniscient, seeing the future, maybe even having the future in mind before it's even the future? How about those attributes? We need them in a construct of the divine?
5: Well, I'm I'm, uh, close enough to uh, Claremont School of Theology and all of my uh, process (laughs) theologian friends to to definitely uh, say that God is not about knowing the future uh, and that God is in process with us and that we do enough things to surprise God every day, um, whatever that that concept of God is. (laughs) But um, I think that when we're trying to squeeze this... um, these old ideas or, or uh, titles or understandings of God into a 21st century, rational, uh, scientific way of looking at the world, um, most of them fall away as uh, um, as not adequate any longer. Um, there are elements of them that I think we can take into the future, but only after we put some serious conditions on them. And, you know, right now, I think that uh, we're dipping back into the wisdom of Teilhard de Chardin, who was the great Jesuit mystic scientist, priest, and paleontologist, who back in the 20s and 30s really started to say, you know, there's something about this idea of evolution that Mm -hmm. uh, isn't just about biological evolution, it's also about cultural evolution, it's also about spiritual evolution, and that we are continuing to grow. And that our understanding of of this idea of the divine is growing as well, and we need to grow up out of these kind of primitive, uh, elemental ideas of a of a angry, kind of judgmental, uh, mid eastern potentate kind of model, and grow into a, a larger, broader understanding of of what the divine is and how we relate that divine
4: you know uh there's a book came out about two years ago by vince buliosi who was the prosecutor in the charlie manson murder cases out in california he subsequently even upon his retirement has written these enormous tomes one is almost 2,000 pages on the assassination of john kennedy and then he decided to write a book about whether god existed or whether atheism was true or Christianity was true, and he ends up as an agnostic. And I, I know, when when I was interviewing Vince about that book, I, I kind of said, "Look, I don't believe God is omnipresent or omnipotent or omniscient or all good." I said, "But I still believe in God." He said, "Well, that's impossible because he said you you can't. That's not that's not a legitimate definition. If it does if it doesn't include most, if not all, of those attributes, it ain't God."
5: Right, and I think that's one of the things that's really hard for people who are um, not kind of moving along and, and what we would broadly call progressive in their mindset, really difficult for people to comprehend or accept. I think that um, uh, one of my mentors, Bishop Jack Spong, has mm-hmm. for a long time talked about uh, being a non-theist, uh, trying to use a word that's in between kind of theist and atheist, um, to try and grasp the idea that there's there's something in between. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have to toss everything out, but we can still embrace this idea of the divine without uh, bringing along all of that baggage. And I think that for a lot of people um, that I'm in conversation with, they will often hear me talking and saying, well, you're just an atheist. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm a non-theist. I'm trying to I said, well, you know, well, what exactly do you believe in am having to say, well, I'm still working on that. It's a lifelong process. And this is where I can tell you I'm at right now. And this is where, in conversation with other people, uh, in community, we're working to try and figure out what makes sense based on not only our Christian tradition, but bringing in uh, the wisdom of all these other culturally-based Uh, faith tradition
4: yeah and then that wouldn't get you in any trouble of course by (laughs) saying that wait a minute there is one way or the highway yeah i mean i guess one way to look at this uh, concept of a a kind of uh, open non-theistic but still believing in god is to say no not uh, not always there not all powerful not seeing the future not all good but still more powerful than i am or you are in some important way would you buy that
5: yeah, I don't know if I would say power, because as soon as you start talking about power, people start to think about, well, yeah, that's then you know, what's in it for me? Yeah. And I think that yeah. if we could you know, make the condition that the power is not, uh, that power we're talking about is not uh, a force that is that is influencing people, but it's more a persuasion. Mm-hmm. It's more of a persuasive power that says, um, Look what the benefits are, not just for yourself, but for all of humanity when you approach life in this way or in that way.
4: Because Uh, you are, David, uh, in living the questions, you're not merely an academic. You did create this curriculum for progressive Christians, but uh, you're also a pastor. And when we come back, I I, want to talk about that because one of the things that... uh, A construct of God that doesn't require a God to be all good, all powerful, all seeing, uh, starts to explain, at least for me, we'll see if you agree, um, is it explains a little more about why there's so much evil in the world because there certainly is it's not a mistake we're not looking at it through a wrong lens it's just really bad stuff we'll be back with david felton a co-author of living the questions in a minute right here on culture shocks
2: culture shocks with barry lynn is heard on the genesis communication network
6: Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages? about intelligent design? Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Blume novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State Magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at 1-800-875-3707.
2: seen them on doomsday preppers you've seen them on network television shipping wars and the history channel now now the strongest shelters money can buy are here atlas survival shelters made in america from 10 foot diameter galvanized corrugated pipe up to 11 times stronger than square box shelters and built to last up to 200 years And you won't believe the amenities. Atlas shelters contain microwaves, refrigerators, big screen TVs, water tanks, septic systems, bulletproof hatches, and much more. Virtually everything you have at home, just buried 20 feet deep and bomb-proof. See the amazing Atlas Survival Shelters at atlassurvivalshelters.com or call one 855 bunker That's eight five five four B 4 bunker or atlassurvivalshelters.com. Financing now available. Atlas Survival Shelters, better prepared than scared.
6: What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs?
9: Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All renovation teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order renovation teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time.
10: absorption of food nutrients aids in controlling yeast infections is never freeze dried and uses three groups of live viable beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins order proem1 daily probiotic cleanse at terraganics.com spelled t e r a g a n i x.com terraganics.com or call toll free 866-369-3678 that's 866-369-3678 proem1 the raw probiotic
4: We are back, and we're talking to David Felton, a pastor in Arizona, United Methodist Church, and a co-creator, along with Jeff Proctor Murphy, of a book called Living the Questions, the Wisdom of Progressive Christianity, and a curriculum to try to work, including with local church congregations, through, uh, in a DVD, uh, kind of what, what do we want to learn about what it is to be a Christian but a progressive one, Who's willing to take a look at concepts allegedly as central as resurrection and look at it in a new light and have it have a human and positive effect right now? So, David, after the Newtown shootings last December, the Today Show chose to have Joel Osteen on to explain why these things could possibly happen. Uh, and he said, Well, we, you know, have radical free will. I mean, uh, we, people, make judgments. They might be not the judgments God would make, but God created us to have free will. And uh, bad people don't do the right thing, which I don't know how comforting that is uh, to a person in crisis. But it also, in a sense, doesn't explain Some other things, like people act act badly. We understand that. Uh, But hurricanes still kill people, and they're presumably not acting at all. They're simply occurrences in a world which God has created. So it doesn't really get us completely out of the idea of evil to say, well, yeah, there's free will, because it doesn't explain tornadoes.
5: (laughs) Right, which I think even the insurance companies have stopped... Stops calling them acts of God. Acts of God, of God yes. <laughs> well, I think you, you've touched on something that is really important. And um, one of the people that had a big influence on me early in my ministry was Rabbi Harold Kushner. Mm. And the book that he's most well known for um, is often uh, misquoted by people right. because people say, yeah, he wrote Why Bad Things Happen to. No, he didn't write Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. He wrote When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And it's, it's a, a basically a meditation on a very Jewish idea, which I think a lot of Christians have lost, which is that God is, is not about um, inflicting any kind of evil or harm. Uh, God is not about even letting evil or harm happen. It's just those things happen. They're part of the world. And that uh, rather than ignoring it or running away from it, um, the, the the very rich Jewish tradition talks about God being found in the midst of the evil and, and comforting people and being with people in the midst of whatever it be, uh, uh, whatever evil or whatever challenge, whatever struggle is in people's life. Well,
4: how do it's we feel kind of that? Kind of I mean, compassion. how do we feel that presence in the midst? In in the case of Newtown or after the the shootings at the movie theater last July. I mean, when you're talking, if you were talking to somebody. Uh, In your own congregation, who's just gone through a terrible, traumatic event—a child with cancer or something—and you say, "Well, we got to get God into the midst here." How would you know if God was in the midst or not?
5: Well, I think that as my as my experience as a as a chaplain in in a hospital, I think that more often than not, when I try and force God into the situation by trying to make an excuse for God or try to explain things, that it was always a disaster. And I found that um, more often than not, and I, many of my colleagues feel the same way is that simply being present with folks is one of the things that is the most powerful comfort to anyone that's going through difficult times because you try to inc- and explain why, and uh you're bound to get things messed up and to say things or imply things that you didn't mean to right uh, so it's it's about a ministry of presence more than anything, and I think that's one of the things that Christians need to get over: is trying to say that there's a reason for everything and that, um, you know, God has a plan. Right. And say, hey, you know what? Uh, the plan is that we need to be there for one another.
4: Yeah. And when the inevitable
5: planned. happens, then we can be present to one another in the healing, in the rebuilding, in the changing the world to try and make whatever event. That has happened less likely to happen in the future.
4: Okay, let me let me move this from the personal. I think it's a very good and important response to to the what some might call the prophetic. Although, you know, there's so many prophets now, it's kind of hard to take the word seriously. But this idea that you have, and the church has as a body, a responsibility to make critical decisions about policies, what is right and wrong, what governmental policies are right and wrong. Even if you totally support a constitutional separation of church and state, you still feel, well, there's some things that are right and some things that are not right. The Bible is not written like an ethics textbook. It's not a treatise on morals. You've got to look through, sort through, figure out what's most important. Glenn Beck, uh, not that... Of course, I ever watch him, but I heard he once said, if you're a member of a church that talks about social justice, run away and find another church. So how do you start to find an ethical framework within all of this literature known as the Christian Bible?
5: Well, I think that that Beck probably has it completely wrong in that if you, if your church doesn't talk about social justice, then it's not even a church. Um, I think that that's one of the things that we've, uh, sold out from underneath ourselves as a church is the idea that we have to, uh, uh, keep everybody happy and, uh, talk about a very personalized kind of, um, very selfish idea of God. um, And, I mean, case in point is, I I mean, I was doing like a a little survey, um, a non-scientific survey, asking clergy and lay people and everybody, you know, what's the good news? Um, What what for you is the good news? And you think in churches and among clergy that they would have a a pretty snappy answer, but they would always hedge, and they would Hmm. not... Answer, Um, and then most of them that did answer, ninety-nine percent of them would say, "Well, that Jesus died for my sins so that Mm. I could go to heaven." Mm. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's such a selfish kind of answer. It has completely um, made Christianity into what, in my mind, it was never meant to be." What the good news really is, according to the gospel texts we have, is you know, right at the beginning of Mark, Jesus is going around. And it says Jesus was going, uh, going around preaching the good news to people. Well, he wasn't going around saying, Hi, my name's Jesus, and I died for your sins. I mean, that, you know, he would be a lunatic then. Yeah. Yeah. What he was doing was he was talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not something off in some la-la land or in the afterlife. The kingdom of God is a political statement. It is in opposition to the kingdom of Caesar or the empire of Caesar. Jesus was on about changing the world in his life here and now, and it was a very political kind of position. And the kingdom of God is about changing the world and making uh, decisions about the ethics and morality of the way our corporations work, the way we mm-hmm. treat immigrants, the way we uh, exclude people from the traditional marriage contract, the way we, uh, we the day we the way we deal with all of our interactions as human beings.
4: And it's in, in that struggle you start to see where you can move from a personal encounter, including a personal encounter with another person, uh, literally just one-on-one, into a broader understanding of what seems to be right. I mean, there's, I think there's no small, I hate to always say this, but when Rick Santorum said when you send kids to college, I mean, you, you basically you, you turn them into atheists, uh, not quite The judgment I would reach. But if he meant you're going to be exposed to other ideas and some of them are going to seem really good or you're going to be exposed to other people, including gay people who are down the hall right on your dormitory floor, but they're not attacking you in the shower. They are just a person with a different way of interacting with other people. It's not all bad it's not all horrible and if you've been told it's all horrible and you see that the truth is somewhere else maybe you do change your mind i think that's a good thing not a bad thing we'll be back and wrap this up with david felton co-author of living the questions the wisdom of progressive christianity we'll figure out just how specific you can be once you get the principles right out of your reading of holy books we'll be back The GCN Radio Network, providing the world
3: with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN, great talk
9: radio starts here.
6: Our nation's founders believed that all Americans have the right to worship according to their own beliefs or not to worship at all. So strong was their commitment to religious freedom that they enshrined it in the first sentence of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We call this constitutional guarantee the first freedom. Religion is deeply personal, and Americans must be free to practice without coercion. There must be a separation of church and state. We are on the verge of losing this fundamental freedom. You may wonder, what can I do? The answer is simple. Do what our founders did. Sign your name to a very important document, the First Freedom First Petition. Go to www.firstfreedomfirst.org and sign it today. By standing together, we can send a powerful message to our elected officials.
11: The government's Department of Homeland Security is buying up loads of ammo. At the same time, they're restricting civilians' rights to own and purchase firearms. Can you put two and two together? Infidel Body Armor can stop every round, including hollow points and 308 sniper rounds. Is reasonably priced and fully legal. But for how long? Go to InfidelBodyArmor.com, spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L, BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. Thank you.
4: All right, we are back, and we're talking about, uh, well, but only the most important issues around. I mean, the big fundamental philosophical questions. Why are we here? What is God? Does God exist? And we're talking uh, today with David Felton, the author, co-author of Living the Questions, The Wisdom of Progressive Christianity, a former uh, pastoral counselor and chaplain, and now the minister of a church out in the state of Arizona. He and Jeff Proctor Murphy created a curriculum for progressive Christians and also a book called Living the Questions, which is now available. And I, I recommend it. I also recommend this as a kind of book that my humanist and atheist friends, they ought to take a look at so that we know if we want to have a, an argument or a discourse about what Christianity is, that we don't just assume everybody is, looks like, uh, and acts deep in their heart uh, like the <laughs> late Jerry Falwell. When I, yeah. Sam Harris told this story before David, but Sam Harris, of course, uh, one of the great, uh, the, the new atheists, uh, so-called new atheists, uh, I asked him once, uh, I think on this very show, I said, so Sam, when you compare the Reverend Lynn with the Reverend Falwell, am I any better? And he thought, point when pausing as he did this he said well maybe a little but his point (laughs) is look i mean that everything that you or i might say now um yeah we should be nice we should be warm we should be connected to people but we can leave god out of it we can leave anything that's not rational out of it even if we don't fully understand it we we with reason will eventually figure it out so what's the need for this one extra element of god why does david felton say god's in the midst there of all the evil and 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 sam harris would say no it's just evil we got to deal with it but we should do so in a humane way
5: yeah. Well, first of all, I have, I've got to say I love Sam Harris's writing, and I think that he'd make a great closet Methodist. But um, <laughs> I, I think that um, I'll just have to get that word out to him, <laughs> um, please. Because for United Methodists, you know, we have a tradition that is uh, that actually helps me uh, do what I do. It's called the Quadrilateral, and it says, "Hey, we need to look at Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason." And all of those need to be brought to bear when you're dealing with the realities of the world, or making decisions, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not just uh, reason; uh, it's not just scripture. Uh, you got to bring your personal experience into it, and and um, so that I think is part of why, for me, uh, it's a more balanced. Kind of approach to thing instead of just using reason alone, which I think is unrealistic to say that you can just use reason alone without bringing in this experience aspect or um, this very admittedly vague, mm-hmm. but uh, we're still working on what the spiritual aspect of it is and i you know and I think that's one of the things that we continue to need to have the conversation with with the New Atheist and with, with other faith traditions. I mean, the case in point is we work a lot here at, at the Fountains United Methodist with uh, different faith traditions. We we have a, a multi-faith campus. We have a Buddhist prayer group that meets here. We have a synagogue, a Reformed synagogue that meets here. We're very involved with our local mosque. And in fact, our youth group went over to uh, visit the local mosque and visit with some of their youth to try and get to know one another. And it was funny because, you know, a couple of the spokespeople for the mosque were making assumptions about Christians and saying, well, Hmm. you know, all Christians believe this. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a second, (laughs) hang on, no, no, no. I mean, we don't, we're trying to not make assumptions about Muslims, and and so you guys need to not make assumptions about us. Um, And that's part of what I think is um, that spark of, of possibility, of divinity, is when we get with people that have genuine differences in how we uh, approach life and the world and and talk with one another with respect and try to achieve an understanding that was not there before. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's often motivated by something that um, is deep within me that I can't put my finger on and that I would be... Um, I think, uncomfortable calling it just reason alone.
4: Yeah, and you're not expecting then that brain science uh, 15 years from now is going to discover that what you think is just deep inside you is explainable, and they can put it on a graph, and and you'll be convinced there's nothing there but what reason alone depicts.
5: Well, that may very well be the case. I'm willing to be open about what the future holds, and I think that alone is... One of the things that that puts me into that progressive Christian category, Uh, and I think that what I try to do is try not to set up uh, either-or kind of uh, situations, but where I can keep the conversation open with people and say, hey, let's talk about this and see... um, you know, for instance, John Dominic Crossan, who's, who's a right. uh, well-known Jesus scholar, and, and all he says, let's let's not get hung up on whether a particular story in the Bible is literally true or just a metaphor. Um, if we can just leave that aside and say, let's talk about what it means for both of us. And if we can, if we can get beyond whether it happened or not, or whether it's a metaphor, and talk about what the meaning is, I think we're going to find that we have a lot more in common. And that yeah. the meaning often is challenging us to live more expansive, uh, more welcoming, and inclusive lives.
4: A couple of minutes ago, David, you, you said uh, that when you're doing this unscientific survey, uh, what's the good news? Well, Jesus died for our sins, so I can go to heaven. Um, I think... A lot of people would say that, and that they would think twice about it if, if you reminded them that seems like an awfully selfish uh, statement. There's an enormous amount of interest, and you have a whole section in the book about the whole idea Jesus is coming back, and if Jesus comes back, certain people will be raptured, and there are multi, of course, huge arguments about when that's going to happen and whether we'll know about it and how many years we've got to clean up our lives and get busy, as the bumper sticker says. But is the afterlife a central premise of progressive christianity because it is of a lot of other forms of christianity
5: uh, you know for me personally it is not a motivating factor mm-hmm. and this is something that i've come to over years of really studying scripture and of my own personal uh thoughts about this and working in concert with other clergy colleagues and and talking about it and and you know i look back and talk about the you know, think about the pastor that I grew up with, um, who going back years later, um, I said, So why didn't you ever say anything about, you know, heaven not being that big a deal for you? And he's like, Well, I didn't, you know, think people could handle it and I'm like, Well mm-hmm. yes they can handle it you know. <laughs> it's like if if you talk about heaven being the only reason, the reward of heaven being the reason that you're a Christian or the threat of hell or punishment being the reason that you're a Christian, that's like my, my toddler children. That's the way they are motivated, you know, <laughs> uh, fear of punishment or the promise of reward. How much better is it? And how much more do we have in common with our non-theistic and, and atheistic uh, uh, reason-based friends when we can say, you know what, um, it's about the here and the now. Uh, yeah. And we're not doing it because we're afraid or that we think we're better than you or going to get a reward. It's because it's about being called to a higher expression of what it means to be human. Yeah, it's a, you know,
4: these are tough, and I you understand, and as you describe what happens when you put something on the blog that is really controversial and, and thousands of people want to get a become a part of the conversation i do remember um, i don't remember everything i learned at boston university school of theology i think it's because i went to law school after that and then sometimes i i get too confused <laughs> but you know in the gospel of john at, i'm paraphrasing this but you know at the last supper is described in that book uh... jesus says that to his disciples yeah, i'm leaving uh... but the, the holy spirit's coming after me and some things he says I haven't even told you, because they're too heavy for you to bear, too heavy for you to bear. Maybe like uh, get rid of the simplicity and start to be more open to reality as it comes your way long after I'm gone. Maybe he was thinking that way.
5: Yeah, and I think that, you know, as, as as a literary device, I think the... Uh, In all the Gospels, the disciples are just a bunch of lunkheads. They don't get it. Um, And I think that that, for me, makes me feel better um, to to think that, okay, these these guys in the story are with Jesus all along and they still don't get it. And they still don't Um, get it. And so I think it it opens up for me that there are possibilities that I don't actually have to... uh, emulate jesus walking on water
4: exactly in order to kind of get the message across well david thank you so much david felton jeff proctor murphy they're the co-authors and co-creators of a curriculum called living the questions the wisdom of progressive christianity that does it for today's edition of culture shocks want to thank david for being with us and uh we'll talk again
2: This edition of Culture Shocks has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network technical staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com.
3: So, a natural disaster strikes, and out goes your power. You risk losing stored food in electric freezers and refrigerators. Your options lose all that expensive food and medication, fire up a noisy gasoline powered generator, or switch now to a propane or natural gas powered refrigerator from Ben's Discount Supply. Ben's Discount Supply.com has a complete line of propane powered refrigerators, freezers in sizes ranging from a small camper cooler size up to a whopping 21 cubic foot refrigerator, freezer, or a 22-cubic-foot deep freezer, in stock and ready to ship anywhere. BenzDiscountSupply.com also stocks a full line of solar-powered appliances to get you completely off the grid. Check out BenzDiscountSupply.com or call 800-771-7702. That's 800-771-7702. Or click BenzDiscountSupply.com for camping, home, or bug-out location. Bank on BenzDiscountSupply.com. Don't miss a minute of the action. Check out the podcasts at www.kcaaradio.com. The station that leaves no listener behind, AM 1050 KCAA.
0: In recent years, more Americans are becoming uncertain about the future, especially since the idea of global warming has evolved from a political debate to a general acceptance that climate change is real. It's resulting in more violent weather and violent extremes in temperature. It serves no purpose here to speak of fear or to live in fear. But there are common sense signs that suggest that our food security is being impacted. The USDA makes annual forecasts of our nation's corn crop each year. It's instructive to review recent corn yields simply to look at how they are faring with regard to projections. You know, a majority of our diet has corn in it. Did you know that corn production in America has fallen below normal for the past several years? The 2012 crop averaged only 123 bushels to the acre, which is almost one fourth below USDA projections. This year, the USDA is projecting another record crop, while one half of the country remains in severe drought. At the same time, we're eating our way through our cattle herds. Ranchers are cutting back herd size because of drought. This year's calf crop will be the lowest since 1949, and the annual calf crop has been declining since 1995. None of this is very good news for our food supply. Recently, I discovered a service called Go Foods. The company packages and sells dehydrated, non-GMO, ready-to-eat meals with a long shelf life. After investigating the company, I bought a URL, and it's called www. KCAAfoods.com. Now, this website forwards to the Go Foods product site. Again, Go Foods packages, prepares, and delivers monthly supplies of ready to eat, dehydrated, non GMO meals right to your residence. You simply order it online and you get a month's supply by mail. My Go Foods service costs a little over $100 a month. And in a few months, I'll have a good stockpile of non-GMO meals in my pantry. Some meals have a shelf life of over a decade, so my wife just stores them in ice chests, and then they can be accessed later if we need them. Also, some people buy Go Foods and add them to their regular menu. Either way, it's a good deal. Obviously, committing $100 a month to stored foods is a cheap insurance policy. So to subscribe to this food service, just like I have, go to the following website www.kcaafoods.com or call toll free 855-909-1050 My name is Fred Lundgren I'm the founder and CEO of KCAA Radio and I agree with this message
13: If you see things that really are not there are you crazy? Maybe not Maybe the ones who put the non-existent things there for you to see are the crazy ones. Recently, this surrealistic phenomena of unreal there appeared in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. This shore town had been devastated by Hurricane Sandy last October, shutting down its boardwalk shops and rides. But in mid-May, England's Prince Harry came to Jersey for a royal visit. And Governor Chris Christie led him to the town's boardwalk to highlight the people's resilient spirit and determination to rebuild. The shops and rides remained closed, yet, bizarrely, the prince saw bustling enterprises and kids having fun. Did his royal eyes deceive him? No, Christie did. The governor staged a business-as-usual visual for the visitor. Spiffed up clam bars and hot dog stands were staffed with people who appeared to be preparing and serving food, but nothing was actually being cooked. Also, children were brought in to play darts, wiffle ball, and other games at booths that had been opened, staffed, and stocked with prizes, just for the brief time of Harry's pass-through. Even the twisted skeleton of the town's iconic roller coaster, which had been knocked into the ocean by the raging hurricane, still sat in the waves. It was kept there as a prop to give the prince a sense of the fury the town had suffered. As he gazed at it for a few moments, a demolition crew was positioned out of sight, ready to dismantle it as soon as the governor and the prince departed. This is Jim Hightower saying, A seven-year-old girl who got to talk with Harry at a game booth later asked a reporter an impertinent question. Is he a real-life prince? She doubted it, for he had no cape or sword. But yes... The Prince was real, unlike the unreal images he saw on the boardwalk. Are
0: you tired all the time? You feel like crap.com. Are you overweight? You feel like crap.com. Are you unmotivated? You feel like crap.com. Do you want to feel better, healthier? You feel like crap.com. Make your move and change your life today by logging on to YouFeelLikeCrap.com today. Learn more.
11: Visit YouFeelLikeCrap.com. Brought to you by YouFeelLikeCrap.com.
3: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM. The station that needs no listener behind. Like a There's a battle for the soul of America.
0: We can't let him tear the kingdom down.
3: This is no game. This is war. Flesh and blood.
0: But it's between the bad and good.
3: We can't stop until the trumpets sound. This is war. Not a game we're playing. This is war. The only question is, which side will you be on? It's time now for a call to
0: decision with Pastor Butchpaw.
3: Satan's army's come to kill. This is
0: war.
14: Can you hear me? Oh, what? Well, okay. All right, we are back. I don't know what happened there. All of a sudden, I, did, I heard music. But nonetheless, we are here. And glad you're with us tonight, wherever you are tonight. We're going to bring up a guest in a few minutes. I I think you're going to find more than interesting. I know I spoke to him today, a gentleman named Pastor Jim William, Williamson. He's been on the program before. When I spoke with him today, uh, what he has to share... It's so interesting and so intriguing to me as a believer that I think you're gonna I think you're gonna love it too. I really do, and I mean that. You know, man ever since the garden, man has tried to make himself God. He's tried to exalt himself and do things that only God can do, and he's had help, of course, satanic help. Obviously, that's true. The fallen angels. We're gonna discuss it a little bit in more detail. Uh, what we're trying to see is so far beyond us as mere mortals that we'll never comprehend it on, on this side of eternity. But one day we'll see it entirely as we should. Now we just now we just learn together.